Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Cloud security monitoring and logging tools are useful for watching over the security health of your cloud infrastructure. But these tools often lack the awareness and context of your data in the cloud. And if you handle confidential, personal, or other regulated data, the inability to protect that data could be devastating to your business. Listen later to learn how OpenRaven helps protect you from sensitive data loss before it's too late. Episode 104, recorded on February 10th, 2021. The CloudPod gets introspection capabilities, but won't use them. (laughs) Good evening, Ryan, (laughs) Peter, and Jonathan. Hello. It is another fantastic week here in the cloud world, once again. We have uh, not a lot of news from Amazon, though, for a change, which, you know, it's kind of a weird, weird time, I guess, for Amazon. They're just still in the holiday lull. But Google has uh, made up for that. So we're <laughs> we still have like an hour show here, probably how this will work out <laughs> when we get all done with this. But it's good. Well, first up, we talked about last week the Amazon earnings, uh, as well as Google and uh, Microsoft. But one of the things that we overlook because we're too busy talking about how Andy was getting replaced is that the AWS other segment, uh, which includes its advertising business, is on pace to rivals AWS is in term of revenue growth. So basically in the Fourth quarter, the other segment grew steadily year over year, ranging from 41 to 49%, and in Q4 was 64%, or $7.95 billion, which puts it on track to surpass AWS as the largest revenue growth in the company, which I thought was kind of interesting. There was some speculation that this might get broken out in the future once Andy takes over as CEO. This might be his coming out party to the Wall Street, as he shows how much money they're actually making on ad revenue, which is very interesting business, actually, when you think about where they're selling ads, which is on the store. Yeah. Two competitors who are selling competing products on their store, which is awesome. Okay, so when I read this is AWS Other, I wasn't sure if it was actually the Amazon. I think it's Amazon Other, not AWS Other. other. Okay, that makes more sense to me. Yeah, so this is basically all the sponsored marketplace stuff. So when you pay money to have your marketplace item listed higher than other people or you're targeting certain people with your products for that through Amazon's marketing campaign, that's what you get. You get basically uh, ability to now compete with other people selling the exact same product as you do with advertising in the Amazon.com store. And that person you're competing with most of the time is Amazon themselves. So I got to say it worked for me recently. I bought a coffee grinder and I, I don't know which coffee grinder to buy. And I went on there and there was like the Amazon best choice. And there was the user's favorites. And I ended up buying the one that had the super cool video right there in the middle of the screen, sponsored video it working but it caught my eye and then i read the reviews i'm like yeah it looks awesome yeah. and i bought it they have a new qvc <laughs> really it is it was too- exactly and i made fun of them for years it sort of feels like it's a little bit of amazon's way of actually making sure you're not using amazon prime because a lot of those advertised deals are not prime deals which you know you don't get shipped as fast so <laughs> watch out for that well in other news there's a site that every amazon user is very familiar with, especially if they're ever doing anything with costs. And we use it here quite often here on the Cloud Pod. Every time a new instance comes out, we go out to ec2instances.info and we find out how much an instance costs on a monthly basis or via RIs. And it has a lot of great utility because it's basically a simple spreadsheet that you can sort and search and do all the things that you can't actually do on Amazon's website, which is super annoying <laughs> without going to two different sections, one for costs and the other one for the specs. They're not actually on the same page on the Amazon website, which makes no sense. So long time ago, ec2instances.info popped up in the world. That's where everyone kind of started going to. And it has been announced that they have been acquired by Vantage. Vantage markets themselves as an alternative AWS console with pricing cost data apparently built right into the console. 
my assessment is that they're basically an Amazon console with an illicit affair with cloud health that came out with a console that basically just gives you pricing information. So you can't actually do anything like spin up new infrastructure there, but it gives you basically the same UI as Amazon, but it says this easy to instance is costing you $12,000 and this is only costing you $500 in the same thing, which is nice. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad service. It's also not priced like cloud health is, which is nice. So it's not a percentage of your spend or $50,000 a month, but it does have the dreaded paywall to contact them if you're spending more than $50,000 a month in Amazon spend. Otherwise, it's very attractive if you're looking for a tool. They contend that a customer always wants a simpler way to interact with infrastructure, and they need a way to understand cloud costs and business decisions. And in working with their customers, they found that they didn't need their product because they were just using ec2instances.info. And so they basically said they should just buy them, which is what they did. They're saying they will not destroy it. They will not mess it up, and they hope not because I use that site all the time. Uh, Garrett Heaton, who originally created the site as a side project, is glad to see Vantage invest in the site as well as to help people control their costs. Well, damn, if I thought someone was going to buy it, I would have built it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the code's been available on GitHub forever. Yeah. I'm super interested to hear how much they paid for it. It'll never tell us. I mean, it probably was they gave Garrett Heaton a job, a real paycheck just to focus on it. That's probably the acquisition. <laughs> I don't know. Definitely, I hope they don't mess with it because it's, it's something I use all the time and I know others use all the time. So there are some alternatives out there. I don't remember the URLs are not as catchy. Oh, also, they are redirecting ec2.instances.info now to their new URL, which is going to be ec2instances.vantage.something. So it's already, already rolling right off the tongue. I already remember it immediately, <laughs> as you can tell. As long as they keep that redirect in there. Yeah, exactly. I just need the, that. <laughs> Instances.vantage.sh, I'll never, never recall. It'd be nice if there was a browser plugin for it, actually. Just so you could add it to the column of like EC2 info or add it to all the resource pages, just have the price right there in the Amazon console. I mean, if I was to have been Vantage and looking at how I was going to solve this problem, that's how I would have done it. But, you know. Could still do it. I could have yeah, created, say, separate, have created a separate podcast console and, because I like you know. to you know, have UIs. It is funny. This did force me to like think about how much I use that, you know, because before this, it was just something I did sort of normal. Like, this is how I learned to do EC2 pricing. Now it's like, no, I'd be sort of crippled without this. <laughs> like, I'll teach you how to use the docs. Don't worry. It's not that hard. I know they are. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. like Ian, who could write a plugin for us to do the pricing information right there in the browser. That would be... Uh, we should reach out to him. I bet he could make we that should. happen for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to other AWS news. If you are an Amazon Outpost user, we'd love to hear from you, first of all, because we like to hear how your days are going with Outposts. Uh, So do ping us on our website. But if you are a user and you are annoyed that you can't take snapshots locally, because when you do take snapshots currently, you would go to S3 of whatever region the Outpost was tied to. If you have S3 enabled in your Outpost and have the storage for it, you can now do that locally, which is pretty nice. So you can now take your local snapshot of your EBS volume, make sure it stays in the resident, you know, in the country where the data Outpost is, and you now meet all those data residency and local backup requirements. This is all available for all Outposts with provisioned S3 on them, and it uses the normal charging as always. You kind of think if it was tied to a local region anyway, that region would already be okay for data residency, but whatever. Well, I was looking at, um, in Asia particularly, let's say you wanted to put an outpost into South Korea, for example, right? Well, they don't have a region in Korea, so you'd have to put your region in Singapore. Singapore is kind of a weird thing for some countries because of the way that the government set up in Singapore. And so, you know, yes, the control panel might be in Singapore, but at least the outpost itself would be inside of Korea. And so that'd be fine until you had to back up your data now into Singapore. That might now violate some law that Korea has for that particular data. So that's the type of use case you're looking at here. Isn't it like starting a video game from scratch when you've been playing forever and you've built up all of the weapons and 
the town and everything you need. And then you have to start from scratch all over again. Outposts, local snapshots. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh my God. I'm waiting. Now supports tagging. And wait until it has VPC attachment in the outpost. I look forward to that one too. Well, first we had reserved instances. And then we had that really weird time where we had to determine if our instances were low utilization, medium utilization, or high utilization. And then Amazon figured that was terrible. And then we had no upfront and partial upfront and full upfront. And then they gave a savings plan, which got rid of all of that complexity. But we still have already SRI and all those kinds of things. And now we have a new one for you. This is the new CloudFront Security Savings Bundle. Rolls right off the tongue. The savings bundle is exactly what you think it might be. It is a savings on your CloudFront bill. But it's a bundle because they're giving you WAF for free as part of the deal. So a savings bundle gives you a flexible self-service pricing plan that helps you save up to 30% on your CloudFront bill in exchange for monthly spend commit for a one-year term. And then as part of that one-year term, they'll give you 10% of that committed spend as free WAF credits. So in this example here, they gave us, if you uh, committed to $70 a month and spend on CloudFront, you get $100 of CloudFront coverage plus $7 worth of WAF coverage, which will cover 11.6 million WAF requests. All for you available now in a very complicated savings bundle mechanism, which I appreciate the CloudFront savings. I'm not so sure I feel about the bundle, but glad to see there's something because I always thought it was weird you couldn't save money on CloudFront. I feel like... This was designed specifically after learning the competitive landscape of competing directly against Cloudflare or others and putting something together that enables their sales team to go out and just win that business straight away. Is that something you're seeing a lot of as people using Cloudflare because of its yeah capability? Well, I mean, I see people using Cloudflare a lot, uh, yeah. definitely. And then I see the sort of significant number of customers who see benefit in just sticking with one vendor. And it's like AWS has a a CDN and a WAF. So I'm going with that because that's my strategy. But I could see their sales team having a wealth of examples of where they've won and where they've lost against a company like Cloudflare. And hey, we put this specific plan together. We're going to win all of them. Interesting. I am so just glad to have it. I like savings. <laughs> so I'll take it. Yeah. Competition. Yeah. Jonathan, I expect, you know, you're going to include this in your spreadsheet for savings. So. I'm just thinking that's data egress is pretty expensive in general, so it's not really a huge saving. Well, but CloudFront's ingress, it's not egress. It is. It's going out. Egress. Yeah, yeah egress. S3 to CloudFront to whatever through the edge locations, but it's not cheap. It's like still eight to nine cents per gig for traffic out. So, I mean, you're not going to get much for your $70 or your $100. Interesting. All right. Moving to GCP, you can now troubleshoot Spanner with new introspection capabilities. Cloud Spanner has been adding new introspection capabilities that allow you to easily monitor database performance, diagnose and fix potential issues, and optimize the overall efficiency of your application. With recently launched introspection tools in the form of built-in tables that you can query to gain helpful insights about Operation Spanner, such as queries, reads, and transactions, you can now troubleshoot your Spanner instance much, much faster. These also integrate into existing monitoring tools like the Cloud Monitoring Console, and you can dive and slice this data any way you want to across different time periods or different measurement critiques. I would waste so much time. If I was a Cloud Spanner customer, I'd do nothing besides just looking at different time scales and comparing. And great. I love these types of tools. I mean, SQL servers had introspection tables for a long time. You don't use those for anything. No, because they're on SQL Server. That's correct. <laughs> but you could do this now with SQL Server, as I'm telling you. Uh, you, uh, you didn't have uh, to wait for Spanner to get it. I would have no time if I did SQL Server because I'd be doing other things. <laughs> you know, years ago, SQL Server had local snapshots. Do they have local snapshots natively? I don't think they do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think Windows maybe has snapshots barely. 
they don't tag you. It's always a slight problem when you need to troubleshoot, but it's too busy to give you the data out of the dynamic views and things like that too. So I'd much yeah. rather have the metrics published somewhere else, the introspective tables, but it's great when it's working. I mean, you can always query those tables and write it to another database. And then you can write that to S3 or to a data lake, and then you could then use Hadoop to then take that data and then reprocess it and then put it into BigQuery. And then I would get a magical table view that it, you would want. So you could totally do it. That kicks the little ball into the mouse. And then yeah, exactly. So I mean, like, you get there. It just <laughs> takes some creativity. That's all. I like that you added S3 to that one. Since I did. You were I, mean, why, I couldn't remember the name of Google's <laughs> object storage at the moment. <laughs> Which is funny because I think it's Google Object Store. So <laughs> it sticks in the memory. Yeah. It's really it just rolls off the tongue. I mean, it's better than blob storage. So I don't know. I, you wouldn't have forgotten blob storage. I would not have forgotten it. That's true. I would have forgotten if it was ultra or premium blob storage, though. That I would have forgotten. Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod foghorn the promise of cloud delivered well if you're an apogee customer you know that they got bought by google a couple years ago and they've been slowly moving apogee features into google cloud and so they are here to announce the next step of digital excellence with the introduction of apogee x apis are the backbone of digital transformation to help organize navigate that google is launching apogee x Apogee X is a major release of their API management platform and seamlessly weaves together Google Cloud, AI, security, and networking to help enterprises manage their digital transformation assets. Man, anytime that Google does a press release, their buzzword bingo is on point. I will tell <laughs> you right now. The new features of Apogee X, global reach with high performance and reliability, leveraging the power of the Google Cloud CDN to maximize availability and performance for APIs globally. And customers can deploy their APIs across 24 Google Cloud regions and enhance caching at more than 100 locations. They're giving a multi-layer security and privacy capability with integration with Cloud Armor or their WAF product for enhanced API security and IAM for authenticating and authorizing access to the Apogee platform and the APIs. You can also leverage your own custom encryption keys to provide greater levels of control and leverage the capabilities of other VPC service controls. And then if you want AI, because that is the buzzword bingo of the day, you get AI-powered automation with the increased adoption of APIs, the need to scale and secure them is building pressure on operations and security teams. Apogee X uses AI and ML capabilities and historical API metadata to autonomously identify anomalies, predict traffic for peak seasons, and ensure APIs adhere to compliance requirements, which is great that it recognizes all that stuff, but can you take some action when you recognize you those do, things? Yeah. <laughs> like, can you do something with the data or you just tell me about it? Well, if you looked at the dashboard, you would know you should have scaled that up three hours ago, but we didn't do it for you. What is it with X? Though, seriously, like they've skipped over version 6, 7, 8, 9 and gone straight to X. I mean, I get Mac OS X. At least that followed on from 9, but like, I wonder if the Greeks actually realized what the trouble they were going to cause when they had the letter X. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was just they skipped T, U, V, and W. Why? I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it also feels like five years too late or even longer, right? Like, because it was, you know, a little while ago, everything was coming out with their X versions. Yeah. Jenkins X, you know. Like, oh, you know, Jenkins a bunch. X, I forgot. Mm-hmm. 
reminds me of the whole Pentium thing where they suddenly realized they couldn't trademark numbers anymore and started coming up with names for their chips instead of using uh, like 486, 586, 686. Beginning of the end. Yeah. I have no idea. I always wondered why it's a Hoswell or whatever, you know. That and Intel Inside, beginning of the end. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you are using Cloud Data Fusion, which allows you to basically manage ETL jobs, think Glue, but for Google, this is Glue for Google, you can now get the ability to use public preview of a new replication feature in Data Fusion that enables low latency, real-time data replication from transactional and operational databases such as SQL Server or MySQL directly into BigQuery. This removes technical bottlenecks so even citizen developers can use replication easily. By the way, citizen developers are what they're calling no-code people. That's very clever. Yeah, it's well done, isn't it? The simple wizard-driven interface enables a standard, easy-to-use interface limiting the needs for the development of complicated, bespoke tools for each type of operational database, thereby enabling self-service continuous replication of data to BigQuery. It also provides feasibility assessments and actionable recommendations, allowing you to quickly identify schema and compatibilities, connectivity issues, and missing features prior to doing your no-code work and knowing when you need a non-citizen developer to help you with your problem. You can also easily access the latest operational data and real-time analysis via the change data capture capability, which provides a representation of data that has changed in a stream, allowing computations and processing to focus specifically on one of the most recently changed records. Enterprise scalability, end-to-end operational visibility, and native integration to Google VPCs and CMEK. There you go. All for your citizen developers to get their ETL on. I hate that term. I don't care. About, I don't care about the rest of this product release, but that's such an obnoxious way to refer to people, especially when you prefix it with even citizen developers. Yeah, I always really dislike. You know, people like you need things like this. I just picture people who only read the comic section of the newspaper. <laughs> I can't read the words. I just need the pictures. Give me the pictures. pictures yeah. I also like the fact they call that any other thing that a non-citizen developer does is bespoke. Like it's some totally hoity-toity hipster thing. Like, oh, you need the bespoke version of that. Like, <laughs> Again, I mentioned earlier that Google's buzzword bingo on these things are just crazy. This is what I'm talking about. Citizen developers. The only thing they could have done worse is like adding and democratizing somehow, you know, into those things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably in the next. It's probably in the next press release. You know, <laughs> all right, or I just cut it out because I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like I can't take it. It's too many. You guys, a point where you're reading through the press release and you're just like, why can't you just tell me what you're releasing? Why do I need all yeah. this wrapper fuzz? This is why we do this for you here at the Cloud Pod, so you yeah. don't have to go through these press releases and feel the pain that I feel for all of you, and then you know we can just make fun of it, which is much more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is drag and drop transform of your data. Done. Yep, with a WYSIWYG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there you go. Well, if you are an Assured Workload customer, and for those of you who don't remember what Assured Workload is, because I was confused that this was the other secure workload thing, but this is not. This is the one that allows you to ensure that your data is only processed in the U.S., as well as only Google personnel who meet criteria based on geographical access location, background checks, and being a U.S. person can support this workload. Uh, so so the citizen workloads is what you're saying. <laughs> I see Apparently a theme so. here. Yeah. <laughs> So if you were paying this premium price for assured workloads to basically make sure that no one who was not an American was using or accessing your servers because you potentially were a government customer that you need to protect that data, if you called support, you would still get offloaded to some third world country, potentially. And so now the new assured workload support makes sure that you get an American in America to help you with your issue in America. And so that's what this now is available for you. And you get this with your GA for premium support customers who want to pay a premium to their premium support customers. So it's almost like an ultra premium support. Premium, wow. premium. 
And Assured Workload Support is a value-added service to premium support. Available 24-7 by a U.S. person in a U.S. location. So not even a U.S. person overseas has to be in a U.S. location. And Google looks forward to expanding this to other regions beyond the U.S. later in the year where they have things like British people can only talk to British people and French people can only talk to French people and all the other ways that we continue to not have a boilerplate, you know, a boiling ocean of people. So there you go. Interesting. It's like the counter swing to globalization and the age old call center jokes and it's surprising. Sometimes though, it's a little value subtract. I think, although I love US support, I think my two favorite countries to get support from are Australia and the Philippines. Australia. They always get such good support. Yeah. Fantastic support from them. Anytime. Amsterdam actually is pretty good too. Yeah. A lot of the Eastern Europe countries get pretty good support. So Yeah. And kind it's of missing fun. Out, but I mean, sometimes I guess you have to. Yeah. And from, I don't know, I find it fun, the colloquialisms and some of the, the sayings, like, a, you know, it's more exposure to culture that I don't see in my day to day. So that's great. We started on Amazon back in the early 2010s. We would always wait for our tough support calls. And then we'd call in, we'd wait till after 4 p.m. because we knew we'd get the Sydney mm-hmm. group and they'd always be able to help us. That Hilarious. sometimes still works. I have that in my mind where I'm like, if it's close, I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Just roll the dice on that. Yeah. And you know, because they're like, you know, good day, mate. And you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they put you on hold and like you hear typing going on in the background with people yeah. trying code. It was awesome. I always like when I get a good Canadian. He's like, you know, doing a screen share with you. And he's like, can you click on that there, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. Not a problem. Well, you know, speaking about multicultural and all that, Google is thrilled to say bonjour to the Dunant submarine cable system, which was deployed and tested and is apparently ready for service. This is a new cross the Atlantic Ocean line for Telco between Virginia Beach in the U.S. and St. Hilaire de Riez in the French Atlantic coast. The system expands Google's global network to add dedicated capacity, diversity and resilience while enabling interconnection to the network infrastructure in the region. The line is named after Henry Dunant the founder of the Red Cross and the first recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. This line is actually special. It's not like other ones that exist in the world. This line is the first to feature a 12-fiber pair space division multiplexing design and will deliver a record-breaking capacity of 250 terabits per second across the ocean, enough to transmit the entire digitized Library of Congress three times every second. The increased cable capacity is delivered in a cost-effective manner with additional fiber pairs, 12 rather than the 6 or 8 in a typical cable, and power-optimized repeater designs. Previous generations of subsea cables relied on dedicated set of pump lasers to amplify each fiber pair, while the SDM technology allows pump lasers and associated optical components to be shared among multiple fiber pairs, and this pump sharing technology enables more fibers within that cable. Does it feel like you should just do a thousand fiber pairs while you're at it? <laughs> well, maybe I should just run multiple lines, just to be safe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it's expensive to get on the boat with a big reel of fiber and splicing the thing together and dropping it down to the bottom of the ocean. That's expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. I was wondering how they power the repeaters because they sink down with the cable down to the bottom of the ocean and then do they have like a solar array that goes up or do they use currents to like power on a generator? Yeah. Well, actually, I'm a little curious more about that part of the whole article than anything. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about that. So it's sort of sad. Yeah, because even running power down the line wouldn't work due to voltage drop, I assume. Correct. It would eventually oh. deplete. Yeah. Someone yeah. knows that. Maybe I they use it. solar power. Maybe they shine lasers down the line because they're already shining lasers down the line. Huh. I, I mean, but I mean, I mean like, isn't it? You have, I mean, like you only have so much. Like it's but, a. That's what it is. There's lots. There's a laser there's, down the line. Yeah. It is a laser. I could, but you, like it's, it's still to play. only go so far. There's only so much power behind that laser. Uh, right. uh, Stay tuned to the next episode where we've all gone like six hours down a Wikipedia hole trying yeah, to figure exactly. out how they're trying to answer the question. <laughs> uh, three more months of 
pandemic and this is just going to be garble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting close to that. Uh, no, they send the power down the line and, and copper wires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. That's, there's really not much other option. Is that official? Is that your answer? That's my answer. You can Google it if you like. I mean, that's a lot of power. So like, you still have to repeat that power. Like, do you have put well, transformers so they, they in? They must too? just pump it through an extremely high voltage. Then I mean, wow. it has to be. Then I mean, think about it. We've got cross-country cables and telco cables and things. Hundreds of miles of long electric cables. It's no big deal. Just got a big thick piece of copper down the middle of the fiber. Yeah, I mean, I have transformers outside my house that blow up sometimes. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Azure has got a couple things for us this week as well. The first up is the Azure Defender for App Services is now introducing the dangling DNS protection detection feature. The Azure Defender has added support to detect dangling DNS. Where this is an issue where the site hosted a particular domain no longer exists and can potentially be compromised by an attacker. This is common in cloud infrastructure as oftentimes the components that receive requests are highly multi-tenant and respond to requests for DNS. Azure Defender for App Services analyzes internal app service logs to identify attacks across multiple targets and systems in Azure. And if you have previously bound a custom domain to the app service, Azure Defender will now detect when you have removed the domain and no longer have them associated. This covers Azure DNS managed domains as well as those managed at external domain registrars. And they can detect if even when it's not in the CNAME itself and that is dangling, but a service further along the line is pointing to a decommissioned website that doesn't exist. Once identified, it'll give you an alert inside of Azure Defender and create a SOC ticket for your SOC team to take eviction and resolve. Stop. Before anybody makes any jokes about dangling DNS protection, save it for the lightning round. I'm going to repeat <laughs> this one there. Sure. Okay, go ahead. Comments. <laughs> oh, no, we're waiting for the lightning round now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just no joke. Peter's just seeing us all like snicker and turn red on Has camera, anyone seen so. one of these? Has anyone seen one of these attacks? Yeah, yes. kind of. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't I, seen a real one. I've seen, yeah, I've seen you know, a red team version of it. Yeah. I've not seen a real version, but it is something that, you know, security people keep making a big deal out of. So I assume somewhere it's important somewhere. I just haven't found that person yet. I guess it affects reputation more than anything because it's obviously not a running service if there's no server listing on that host name anymore. Yeah. I'd be more concerned if it was a B2C site. If you're going to consumers, I can see where the confusion comes in where it might be more risky, but for B2B and for most SaaS apps where we live in our world, I don't know if it's much of a problem. Phishing attacks, though, that's what these do things for. It's a fish, I guess. Right. The Azure DDoS protection team has released their 2020 in review blog post, which is always interesting because they talk about how much DDoS traffic is increasing. And so they say in 2020, that DDoS traffic increased 50% uh, with increased complexity and a significant increase in the volume of DDoS traffic. They say they mitigated 500 unique attacks a day and a total mitigating upwards of 200,000 unique DDoS attacks against Azure infrastructure. And the peak period was between March and April with the onset of the COVID-19 outbreak as countries across the globe implemented lockdowns. During this time, they mitigated 800 to 1,000 attacks a day. In 2020, Azure observed a trend toward high-volume attacks with shorter durations, which is interesting because one of the things we talk about in DDoS is typically length of time. But they're actually showing that 53% of them were under 10 minutes in length, which is really interesting and potentially come repetitively. Highest attack bandwidth on a single IP detector was one terabytes per second. In other instances, the mitigated a reflection attack of 1.6 terabytes per second against multiple customers. UDP flood and reflection attacks have also increased this year, and they also protected three zero-day attacks, including the Electrum DDoS malware DVR exploitation reflection attack and the Mac OS vulnerability reflection attack with WSD. And they're saying that if you don't have DDoS protection, it can cost you up to $5,600 a minute in lost productivity and revenue to your business. So definitely have a strategy for DDoS. Yeah, and I think this is one of the best advantages of being in the cloud is that it seems like a perfect opportunity for hyperscalers to 
give you protection. It's like an insurance policy, right? Protect all their customers with the DDoS solution so that you don't all individually have to build it out because it's so short in duration, but it's so impactful from a resource standpoint. That's just perfect reason to be on a big cloud provider. I'm just mad because DDoS attacks just don't seem to have so much benefit to the attackers. So it's like, I get it. You take down a company, you get to be both of but you know you don't see a lot of the ransom type of thing attacks anymore and that kind of thing it's just largely to be disruptive i wonder how many times they're just trojan horses right like they they're distracting you from the real attack which is happening elsewhere in your infrastructure <laughs> or you know like they're trying to break something in to inject a payload that's going to sit there dormant for weeks and then all of a sudden wake up and cause other problems um so i i do agree they look very much on the surface like they're just annoyances but they mm-hmm. could potentially be shields for other malicious activity mm-hmm. that you're just not paying attention to because you're so busy attacking or yeah. dealing with a ddos attack hello i'm mark co-founder and chief product officer at open raven open raven is a cloud security platform that's data aware we continuously monitor for data security policy violations and potential compliance issues such as personal information in unencrypted databases and GDPR data on EU data subjects being stored in jurisdictions that require specific security controls. Get notified immediately with email, text, or Slack, or drive incident management workflows by sending data through AWS EventBridge to your security orchestration and event management tools. You can quickly visualize and triage policy violations using the OpenRaven console and easily automate workflows to resolve the violation and prevent data loss before it happens. Visit openraven.com slash the cloud to learn more and start a free trial to discover, classify, monitor, and protect the data you have in the cloud. That's it for new news. Peter, you want to take us to lightning round? Let's go to lightning round and let me just tell you, I'm not going to determine the winner solely on the first one, but I'm expecting some doozies here. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't cover the Oracle news though. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah first let's cover the oracle news there's oracle news okay there's oracle news this week <laughs> moving on to the lightning round <laughs> is there do you know of oracle news they're not buying tiktok after all oh yeah they're not they don't have to buy tiktok now they're not being forced into that marriage with the shotgun anymore yeah oh that's, good that's oh i hadn't heard that yeah apparently that happened earlier in the week they said that the tiktok purchase is dead i think we should cover that <laughs> I was just buying time. Why the lightning round? Just buying time to think of something for the lightning round. <laughs> oh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, okay. really. I mean, I do have some Oracle stories in the lightning round, so you do get your chance to talk about Oracle. There you go. Let's start with the story we already talked about. Azure Defender for App Service introduces dangling DNS protection. Because protecting the dangling things is super important. <laughs> <laughs> you always protect the dangling things with socks. <laughs> with socks? I got nothing on this one. Ah! <laughs> of all the things I have nothing on, the guy who has something for everything. The systems operations center, the SOC. You're protecting, well, never mind. Oh, I got it. I understood what you said. I just selected out after that. It's, it's just yeah. announcing availability for the Oracle roving edge infrastructure for U.S. government customers. I mean, that's the only data center they can actually get that works, that one that roves. <laughs> I have like, my idea, it's a van. It drives around. <laughs> it's a van, yeah. It just drives around. It's with the government. It's a VW van, isn't it? With a hippie camping in the back, cooking bacon. <laughs> Better have a wizard on the side of it. Now I understand how Oracle gets so many regions up so quickly. It's just a van. They just drive it where they want it to be. Yeah. They do the press release, they do the dog and pony show, then the van drives away to the next region, and no one notices because no one used the region they were in. So. 
Someone needs to sing the Scooby Doo theme song, right? <laughs> Would have got away with it too. It wasn't for your dastardly kids. <laughs> <laughs> you can use Bash scripts to refresh an Oracle autonomous database with this post. Because nothing says AI like Bash scripts. Mm-hmm. Super modern autonomous Bash scripts. Skynet is a lot simpler than I would have imagined. Yeah, I didn't realize I could code it. So that's good. There is a new digital curriculum for managing Amazon S3. I mean, the fact that you need a whole curriculum to manage a simple storage service is a bit of a red flag. Mm-hmm. Application load balancers now support application cookie stickiness. Mm. Seems like a way to get sticky. <laughs> Unlike that dangling DNS problem, which also <laughs> you can get sticky on. Yeah, you want that to get unstuck is what you want. Yeah. <laughs> AWS App Mesh now supports mutual TLS authentication. I'm mutually going to agree not to use this feature. <laughs> yeah. It is mutual that this will cause an interruption that I do not want to troubleshoot. Mm-hmm. Isn't it the whole point of App Mesh, MTLS? Like, isn't that the whole point? Mm, not really. It's one of those things where you're declaring your connection, you're providing the visibility by kind of codifying it. And so you get some abilities there but this is really just like this thing's allowed to talk to me i'm allowed to talk to it yeah developers wanted said hey i want to be able to tag my resource and do network rules based on tags and so they mailed this whole app mesh thing they said hey you're gonna tag that as a web server this can be tagged as database server we're gonna create a rule makes tags talk to each other and then the developer's not gonna tag it anyways so the whole thing was pointless well so you're forgetting the second half is because now they could tag a thing even though they won't Right. Security is all upset, right? Because, oh, they could just tag it. And then it's communication right, willy-nilly. So they got to yeah. do mutual TLS. So it's a whole bunch of things you'll never use to protect you in a situation you'll never be in. Yeah, but on the diagram, it gets right through the audits for encrypt everything. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It it's does, true. yeah. <laughs> right? MTLS. Oh, no, 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 MTLS. It's fine. Oh, yeah. okay. Need some kind of controller to manage all that stuff for you. <laughs> While we're on the... Topic of AppMesh, AWS announced AppMesh controller for Kubernetes version 1.3.0 with, you guessed it, MTLS support. (laughs) I wonder if these announcements are related. I think they're mutually exclusive. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't tagged together, so they can't talk to each other, Ryan. That's how it works. No, no. Amazon VPC customers can now customize reverse DNS for their Elastic IPs. I mean, but it's so much more fun to blame Amazon for all the world's problems because this is <laughs> coming from a reverse DNS to Amazon. AWS backup events and metrics are now available in Amazon CloudWatch. This will make compliance teams happy. Backup succeeded. Gotta love those. Backup failed. <laughs> backup. Backup succeeded. Backup <laughs> succeeded. Restore impossible. So what, yeah. did, what does that even look like? The CloudWatch metric, like backup succeeded in last 10 minutes equals one. And that's the alert basically. It doesn't equal one. And then I don't even know how to do the threshold on that. Is a true or false Boolean? Like It's a weird, weird choice. Okay. I would love it if the compliance controls, you know, were stated in such where if there was a backup, you know, it was successful, you know, in the last three out of five times. Great. But it's not. <laughs> and then the compliance team wants to know why that backup failed on November 5th, 2017. And you're like, I have no idea. Like, mm. well, you have to tell us because it's a sock violation. I'm mm. like, I don't okay. help you with this problem. <laughs> That's not in the Jupiter control. The control was in orbit. I get alerted. Yeah. <laughs> there was a solar flare. Mercury is in retrograde. I mean, that's yeah. why these things fail. I just can't yeah. help you. The next one succeeded. We're fine. <laughs> well, we need to restore to that point. Well, that was three years ago. I'm mm-hmm. going to apologize to the customer for Fusely, and we're going to move on. <laughs> Speaking of patch management, 
and AWS Patch Manager. Uh, <laughs> you can now take actions before and after patching to improve safety during patch installation. I mean, they've always had this feature. It was just part of auto-scaling. You wrote a batch script in the beginning that basically patched the box when you built it and then terminated the box when it was over, and then you just didn't worry about patching. But you know, people don't seem to understand that concept. So here we are with a pre- and post-validation patching. So this is super important because what you do is you say, this is because of patching, and you just write that to the logs. Right. And then if no one sees that, then you just ex- fine. But when that patch has broken your entire system, that's going to be the last thing. You know, this also solves the last one for me too, Ryan. Thank you for that. The backup failed because of the patching. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the logs. It's in the logs. Look at the logs. (laughs) Thanks. Now generally available, soft delete for Azure file shares is now on by default for new storage accounts. Dangling, soft, Azure. Just a rough week. These are Windows features if I've ever heard of them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I love how they could just keep you spending your money without realizing it as a feature. <laughs> it's on by default, too. So you thought you deleted it, but nope, you're still mm-hmm. paying for it. Nope. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. They're going to need some dangling protection after they get that bill. <laughs> <laughs> also generally available, start-stop functionality for Azure Database for MySQL. Because apparently SQL Server doesn't need stop-start, but MySQL does. Come on, Azure. Give me what I actually want, which is MS SQL. But if you stop that, then you stop paying for the license. Right. That's why they don't want you to have that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice if it also performed faster when you restarted it, but I don't know if they have that capability. And to wrap the session up, additional IOPS feature for Azure MySQL flexible server is now in public preview. And if I could start my Azure database for MySQL into this new IOPS feature, then that'd be cool. You too could spend all of your money. Right. And then I could soft delete <laughs> it thinking I saved the money, but I didn't. But you did. And then I get mad about the danglies. No, you you delete your whole stack and you create a dangling DNS entry. I don't know. See, it's all yeah. this is how this all happened. Yeah, I mean it would be a dangling DNS entry, right? If you pointed a load balancer to MySQL and then deleted MySQL in anger on a soft delete, I should get a sock alert in Defender for that. You are one thousand percent correct. How about a soft <laughs> decrease of IOPS so that you think you decreased the IOPS, but you're still paying for them? <laughs> I mean, like it's a revenue play if I've ever seen one. Like, how do we grow Azure revenue? Everything is a soft delete. And to avoid any backlash, I'm going to declare the winner, Jonathan, for no particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid backlash, you say. I see. To um, avoid it. I, <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> to guarantee it? <laughs> He's soft deleted that guarantee. That's what happens. Soft delete it. I think Justin uh, should have went for the mutually exclusive thing, or what was the other one just recently? We all speaking of security operation centers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about them? I'm sorry. I missed, oh, nothing. Put the socks on the danglies. That's fine. We've established. Well, uh, last week we talked about that there was something coming up in a conference. And since it's COVID time, we're like, we don't know time frame anymore. So I went and did the research for you all. And so a couple of things I learned. First of all, Microsoft has already announced that all Microsoft conferences through July 2021 will be digital, which means that the one that I mentioned that's coming up, which is Microsoft Ignite, is March 2nd through the 4th. And that'll be a digital conference available to anybody who wants to go sign up for free online and available to you. I also found out that Microsoft Build is tentatively scheduled for May 19th through 21st, although they haven't released or formally confirmed those dates yet. So don't take that for you know anything beyond what I said right now. And then I also found out that AWS reInvent apparently thinks they're going back to Vegas. November 29th through December 3rd is on their website. They are saying it is going to be in Vegas. Having been the fact that they were the last one to bail out of doing an in-person conference, I am not entirely shocked. 
I don't know if it's going to happen, but it's Amazon, so I, I get it. But if any of all these guys, they probably have the best chance of a conference happening because of how far out it is. And if they actually can get vaccines out in the summer, like they say they are going to, maybe it could happen if you get vaccinated and you're willing to. As we learned from last week in their earnings release, they actually turn a profit on reInvent. So it's a money making enterprise for that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Google Cloud Next is apparently supposed to be June 28th through the 30th. That is not yet confirmed or announced by Google yet, but someone had found on Moscone's website that they have it reserved from June 28th through the 30th, uh, at least for in-person, which (laughs) June will not happen most likely. So that'll be digital again or delayed until the fall, just like they did with Google Cloud Next Digital, which took 19,000 weeks of 2020. I thought it was still going. Uh, it might be that. still going. It's very possible. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Oracle Open World, which is trying to do its first kickoff ever in Las Vegas after moving to San Francisco, has no dates out yet of when they're going to do their conference, if it will happen in 2021. So we'll keep an eye on those things. We'll let you know. But if you're interested in Microsoft Ignite, coming up very soon. So we'll sign up right away for that March 2nd through the 4th of 2021. There you go. Anything you guys want to share? Dumbfounded looks on their faces like, what? Yep. What? There's homework? Mm-hmm. Uh, who? What? what homework? There's stuff outside the house. There's. I didn't realize. Well, it's, it's still in the house, but outside the work at your house, I guess, how you look at that. But I mean, like, if we can go to a conference in person, we can give stickers away. So I'd love to do that. I would love to do that. Sweet Jesus, would I love to do that. I finally got the shipping ready for your stickers you bought. <laughs> and everyone else who bought stickers, and I have a list of 10 or 12 people who want stickers, and so I had to ship them off. So I'll be going to the post office very soon. So if you haven't got it, it's not like I forgot about you. I was just kind of batching them into one batch, so I don't have to go multiple times. And since the sale, I think, ends by the time this comes out, or will be over by the time this comes out, I will ship those out. I got my uh, AWS Community Builder swag in the mail yesterday. Very cool. I got a new hat oh. to replace my red hat that I had to throw away. And uh, <laughs> what else did I get? I got some of the pointless stuff that people would seem to think everyone needs. Like I've got a whole cupboard full of coffee cups and insulated things and that kind Did of you get crap. a beer cozy a beer insulator because that's one i was hate to get i'm like i'm never gonna remember this beer insulator ever mouse pads i hate mouse pads <laughs> yeah, mouse like pads sweet jesus good. give me like a free mouse pad like i mean we had to decide if we're going to do a prediction show for ignite asia is so lame on these though i'm, I'm hesitant to do that maybe instead we could just tell everyone our, you know top five worst swag items or something that'd be more fun <laughs> 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 Might be more interesting. Yeah. Might be more interesting, yeah. So we'll talk about that offline. We'll figure out if we're going to do an Ignite prediction show. I my, doubt it. My prediction for Ignite is that they're going to introduce a new level of network support level, you know, performance and cost more. Extra money. premium. Well, extra yeah. premium, yeah. Uber. Uber. I mean, they haven't done anything in 2020, so hopefully they do something soon because <laughs> the announcements are pretty lackluster. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been another fantastic week in the cloud. I'll see you next week. Good night. Good night. Bye, everybody. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions.